Geirish Nation. Notre Dame had a 28-3 victory over UVA, and unlike Atlanta fans, we can walk away thinking uh, positively about a score of 28-3. Unfortunately for me this week, Mike and I are playing in fantasy football, and he is absolutely taking me to the woodshed. So we're going to skip over this entire intro and just dive right into the UVA football game. That that worked for you, Mike? Yeah, that works for me. I mean, there's still a lot of time left in fantasy. I got my homes, though, so that always helps. Um, but anyway, Thanksgiving is approaching. Friendsgiving is right around the corner, too. So we wanted to pause and say we're really thankful for our listeners. But we would be really thankful if each one of you tells a friend about the show. And on top of that, if you wrote a review for us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast, we'd be completely ecstatic. And uh, before we get to the rest of the show, congrats to five foot nothing, one hundred and nothing. That's the Twitter handle that won this week's score prediction on Twitter with the score prediction of forty five twenty one, very close to the twenty five point actual margin of victory. Almost all of our Twitter followers were predicting more of a shootout in this game, but five foot nothing takes the prize with the closest scoring margin. In terms of the show agenda today, we're going to go with a UVA recap, then we're going to transition to a Georgia Tech preview. Um, and for our listeners who uh, listened to last week's podcast, we did a segment on NIL. It was part one. We're doing part two today. Um, last week's show gave an overview of NIL rules, court cases, uh, and the broader landscape of what's changed and changing. This week, we're going to go more into NIL deals specifically um, uh, that ND players have and how it stacks up to our uh, our competition. And then to end our, uh, our Four Horsemen segment, we'll take a look at this senior class and highlight our top four. Really excited to, to get to talk about this senior class, obviously, this week against Georgia Tech's the senior game. So uh, fun way to round out the show and, and really kind of commemorate the, the senior class and a c- couple of our favorite players on the team. Before diving into UVA, a quick couple recruiting uh, updates. Last week, we, of course, highlighted the five-star commit from Drake Bowen in the 2023 class. This week, we landed a surprise commit, top 150 offensive lineman Emil Wagner in the 2022 class. That was a surprise. Everyone had him going to Kentucky. Um, he flips to Notre Dame in his official announcement. And with that commitment, Notre Dame currently stands as the number four recruiting class. That'll probably slide back a little bit, but... Looks like we're tracking towards number seven, number eight class. Uh, that's up from where we've been in that 10 to 15 range. So great news on, on the Wagner front. And then unfortunately lost a big recruiting battle with Ohio State for Sonny Styles. He's the younger brother of Lorenzo Style Jr. at Notre Dame, our current standout freshman wide receiver. But he's also the son of Ohio State all-time great Lorenzo Style Sr. Uh, number eight overall recruit in the 2023 class. This would have been a huge one. Crystal Ball predictions from 247 had this going to Notre Dame. So a bit of a surprise. This would have been a big win for Marcus Freeman. But unfortunately, he'll be playing on in uh, Columbus uh, coming in the fall of 2023. Okay, with that, let's, uh, let's jump into our Virginia recap. All you have to do is worry about how you play to our standard. That's it. So this past week, Mike and Brett both beat the spread. We obviously didn't know Brennan Armstrong would be out, so uh, we each picked a higher-scoring game. And a lot of our listeners did, too, actually, in our, our weekly uh, score prediction contest. Uh, but we both accurately predicted that Notre Dame would beat the five-point spread, which did balloon to a seven-and-a-half-point uh, spread at kickoff. Um, so Brett uh, is now 7-2 against the spread in Notre Dame games this year, which he's uh, very proud of this year. He told me that he would like— Yeah, and, 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 and get the Hall of Fame banquet ready— 
barbecue chicken nachos is is going to be on uh, on the menu when they induct me into the Las Vegas Hall of Fame. So pl- please and thank you. Pumped being back on the winning streak here against the spread. Yeah, we'll have to see. I need to maybe I need to go back and see how I'm doing because it's possible I might be I might be around seven and two now. I haven't actually been keeping track. Um, so I'll go back and check. Maybe next week I'll I'll, I'll put over there and maybe we're looking for a, a we'll be part of the same Hall of Fame induction class in Vegas and. As as a reminder, by the way, we've played ten games this year. Seven and two is only nine games. I I claim that I abstained from the Toledo game, which I want to know part of betting. So it's sort of seven and two with an asterisk. But either way, politics are important. Abstaining is important. You got to pull that lever when you get the opportunity. And and spin. You got to have your spin team out there. So I'm I'm just spinning this as my seven and two Hall of Fame record. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, Brett. So you want to get into our takeaways for this game? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, starting on the offense, our first takeaway, Mike Mayer. I feel like our podcast has maybe given the least amount of coverage to Mike Mayer out of maybe any Notre Dame sports coverage this year. He had a pro football focus grade of 88 in this game. Um, absolutely outstanding. Anything above 80 is, is an NFL caliber performance. So he, he was all over it. He was targeted seven times, converted that into seven catches, 100% perfect conversion rate on the day. 84 yards, a touchdown to start off the game. He had the ridiculous highlight reel where he pinned the ball on the defenders back, almost ref, you know, reminiscent of a Chris, of a, of a David Tyree catch in the Patriots Super Bowl. Just an awesome performance for Mike. Definitely. Um, I think now he finally looks like he's fully healthy. He had some lingering, uh, uh, nagging injuries the last few weeks. Um, but yeah, he certainly came to play. And I think no matter how you look at the data, how you look at his grades, uh, from a pro football focus, great standpoint, just an exceptional performance from him. Uh, another takeaway uh, from our standpoint is, should we be upset that we didn't score more than 28? Uh, similar question to last week when we only scored 34 against Navy, um, given that there were, it seemed like there were a lot of missed opportunities. So d- diving a bit into the data for this game, we had a success rate of 45%, which is, which is good. That is, that is a good grade. Granted, uh, UVA doesn't have the greatest defense. Um, our success rate was closer to 50% in the first half. And then keep in mind that this excludes uh, garbage time. So that throws out the fourth quarter when the game was uh, really uh, out of hand. Um, and so I think another way that you can also slice this is including the fourth quarter, though, uh, when we didn't score, uh, but we had some long drives, we measured success rate at 52%. So that actually is top-notch. Um, again, it's garbage time, so take it with a grain of salt. Um, but another string of games around that 50% mark, which is really high, that's a top, for context, that is a top 25 level. Yeah, I think the other part that, you know, maybe despite the points that jumps out to me is the explosiveness in this game. 1.44 was our explosive rating according to collegefootballdata.com. Anything above 1.30 is considered excellent. That's kind of an indexed number, so it's a little hard to contextualize, but 1.44 is really strong. That's, that's also top 25 material. You had Diggs and Williams each had 20 yard rushes. Styles had the 37-yard jet sweep. Mike Mayer had the 22-yard snag. Austin, the 15-yard touchdown. Just a lot of chunk plays in this game. Now, sure, UVA's defense is um, bad, and, and that, that might be a pleasant way of saying UVA's defense is bad. Um, Notre Dame did exactly what a top-20 offense should do. Uh, 28 points. It's lower than you'd expect, especially given some of those stats. But overall, I think this was an efficient night. It was an explosive night. And I think the 28 points is more of a function of not running up the score and and really taking our foot off the pedal in, in the second half than it was anything else. So I'm not at all alarmed about the offense in these last two weeks. I think they're doing exactly what they need to do. I think we've got really favorable matchups going into Georgia Tech and, and Stanford. So I think 
what we're seeing on the field in terms of the advanced metrics should really give you a lot of comfort that this offense is where it needs to be to get to 11 and one. Definitely. It feels like they're humming. Um, to me, it felt like when we, we needed to make a play, we were making plays. Like you said, Brett, we did seem to take the foot off the gas a bit as we jumped out to a lead, but that's, ex- that's completely understandable. Um, we were rotating, even before the fourth quarter, we were ro- rotating a lot of guys in. So it's not like, like even before we kind of changed the guard and put in all the younger guys, we were still rotating a lot of guys in. So there was a lot of that. Um, so I think, yeah, 28 points doesn't feel like a lot, but, um, like you said, Kelly doesn't, he doesn't really like to run up scores. Um, he's, he's not as into the big blowout style points as, 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 uh, some other coaches. Um, now all that. Yeah. And I had some, I had some Twitter back and forth with some of our fans on, on Twitter after the game and, and even in today, today on Sundays, we're recording this. And it was like, we don't have this killer instinct or we don't blow out teams or we don't dominate. 28 to 3 is a dominating performance. I promise you that if we win every single one of our games 28 to 3, we pass whatever I test the college football playoff committee has. The UVA game at 28 to 3 is not the problem with our resume. The problem with our resume is we lost to Cincy at home. The problem with our resume is we squeaked by Virginia Tech. We squeaked by Florida State. We squeaked by Toledo. It took us four quarters to put away Purdue. This 28 to 3 game is a 10 out of 10 performance for Brian Kelly and this roster. And, it's, and and on offense and defense, this was a very dominating performance. And anything to the contrary, it just it, it, it's not there. It's not there in the numbers. It's it's not there in this game. I, I thought it was a great offensive performance. I think so. Yeah, I think if we were aggressively seeking points in this game, we definitely could have. Certainly at the end of the first half, uh, Kelly had an opportunity to try to score again at the end of, uh, at the end of the half. And I, at the time when we were up twenty one, I actually thought that he should have. I thought that it was a, a chance to really like. Uh, put, put the pedal to the metal and just make the game completely out of hand by the time you get into the second half. But again, I, I get it. Like Kelly's not, uh, he doesn't want to like risk any more injuries, being too aggressive, running up the score. Um, and I think one other point here is we had a hundred percent post game win expectancy. So that, that just, that set in and of itself tells you how dominating a performance that we had. Um, so yeah, overall, I think this is something that helps us with the eye test. It definitely does not hurt us. Moving to our next takeaway, Kyron Williams is a human joystick, and oh my gosh, is it fun to just watch him play football. Um, had the 22-yard touchdown, he was just bouncing off of bodies. Pro football focus grade of 84, very elite. That was second on the team behind Mike Mayer. And then something we haven't talked about yet on this podcast as an advanced stat is broken tackles. Uh, pro football focus tracks a stat they call missed tackles force. That's basically broken tackles. Kyron Williams had seven in this game. In the last five games, Kyron Williams has broken 41 tackles. That's eight per game. How good is that? It's number one in the country almost by a full game. Kenneth Walker, the third Heisman candidate at Michigan State, he's second in the country with 34 broken tackles in the last five games. So really since the calendar flipped to October, Kyron Williams has been bouncing off of tacklers like no one else in the country. We see that week in and week out. We almost take it for granted how ridiculous it looks. But I think that metric just really shows he's broken 20% more tackles than any other player in the country. Just incredible to watch. Definitely. A lot of the ND beat writers, I think in particular Matt Fortuna, Pete Sampson, have been saying that, at least in the Kelly era, Kelly era that uh, Kyron is, is likely the best running back that we've had. And I think each subsequent week, he's continued to prove that. It just seems like every game... There's a handful of plays where 
the defense is in a pretty good position. They have him there, and he just makes some incredible play, whether it's a spin move or the guy has him wrapped up, but Kyron just doesn't go down and manages to somehow slip away. Um, he's just doing things that like that I have not seen from a, a Notre Dame running back, certainly since since I've been a fan. Um, and it, it is a shame that the offensive line didn't gel a bit earlier because I do think if they had and they were performing at a high level from the beginning of the season, we likely could be talking about Kyron uh, as a Heisman candidate. And it's more likely we would have beaten Cincinnati too. So we could be talking about a more certain playoff run. We could be talking about a Heisman contender. Um, but unfortunately, because of the slow start, it's just uh, not... not from a Heisman standpoint, uh, not to be. You mentioned Samson and Fortuna talking about Kyron versus earlier running backs. When they started making those claims early in the season, I was sitting there thinking, are we forgetting Josh Adams? Are we forgetting Theo Riddick, Dexter Williams? Like, we've had some really good, CJ Process, we've had some really good running backs in the Kelly era. These last two, three games, that 91-yard run against UNC, this game where he was just bouncing all over the place, yeah, it's hard to argue any one of those guys was doing the the things that Kyron Williams is doing with a arguably worse offensive line. Um, it's it's been special. Some other quick hitters in this game on on offense before we flip to defense. Uh, the offensive line really solid again. Three point two line yards per rush. That's above average. That that'd be really solid game in and game out. Um, and pass protection was off the charts. Madden, Lug, Patterson, and Alt all had pro football focus grades of 77 or higher in pass protection. So that's essentially pass protecting as a group around an NFL caliber. Um, if you're around that 80 number, which is about where they averaged as a group, um, zero sacks allowed on the night, just a really good performance. And then a quick shout out on Jack Cohn, not the flashiest night. He only threw for 133 yards, but he found the end zone three times. He completed 75% of his passes. He's up to 26th in the country in completion percentage on the year. So whatever you want to call him about the grad transfer game manager, he's he's filling that role perfectly. Um, he's completing passes. He's getting the ball out in rhythm. He's now not taking sacks. Uh, just another step in the right direction for Jack Cohn. Really happy with his performance. Definitely. And he, you said he graded out at uh, 75. I believe his, his actual like passing grade was, was higher than that. I want to say it was around 78 or 79. So that, that, that is getting close to that elite NFL level. What brought him down a bit was his uh, his running grade, which uh, not not a shock. We, has has never has never been stellar. Exactly. Yeah. So that's no no big surprise there. But yeah, uh, he's been very consistent. Really, since that Virginia Tech game, he's uh, he's been exactly what we've we've wanted him to be. Um, now moving to the other side of the ball on the defense. Uh, also, uh, a, a very dominant performance um, from the Marcus Freeman defense. Big headline, of course, though. Big caveat. No Brennan Armstrong. So clearly that impacted this game. There's no getting around that. No doubt. It would have been great to go up against him, have a great test for the defense. Um, so, but unfortunately not to be. Overall, it didn't matter though. We, uh, we ran a half speed offense in the second half. Um, and this was, frankly, this was just like never going to be a game regardless. Our defense was just so stifling. Um, it's not like they had skill position players, wide receivers getting open or in the position to make plays. Uh, we really locked them down almost entirely. Freeman's defense was was stifling. And if you look at some of these advanced stats, uh, it's, it's pretty mind-blowing. UVA had a 42% success rate. Um, generally, you want to be in the high 40s. Uh, and UVA actually this year has been uh, a, around the 50% mark or higher. Again, obviously, Brennan Armstrong was out. But um, obviously, we held them in this situation to a fairly low success rate. Um, and then I, the key point here, I think this is the, the, the number that jumps off the page, is we generated havoc on them, on their offense, 
on 33% of plays. So that's tackles for loss, sacks, deflected passes, interceptions. We get eight sacks, several deflected passes, by far the, the highest that we've ever seen in a game. Generally, you want to be around the high teens um, in this havoc rate for a defense. And we were more than double that, uh, or around double that, certainly. So when you're doing that, you're just completely disrupting any flow that the offense can get to, can get into, and um, makes it very difficult to to move the ball down the field when uh, when the defense is doing that to you. Yeah, j- just to contextualize the havoc rate. So if if you want to be in the high teens as a defense, that means one in every six plays you're disrupting the offense with a havoc play. We were doing that one in every three plays, like one in every three plays. We were living in the back uh, backfield and just taking the quarterback's lunch money. Um, really great effort. Our second takeaway, really assignment correct football that, that took the entire group um, effort to, to, to pull into this one. Um, you know, they ran a lot of trick plays in this game. It felt like they were running wide receiver passes, wildcat, end arounds, jet sweeps. None of it worked. And that means you're a assignment correct football team. And I'd also highlight that all of the pro football focus grades were fine. Ramon Henderson, he had the interception. A low-end three-star recruit, he was the number 619 recruit in his class out of Bakersfield. He had the big interception in the first half. He led the pro football focus grades with 79. So a really nice breakout performance for him. Everyone else on the defense in terms of starters was between 65 and 73, which is starter level. They were all solid. Uh, none of them really stepped up with some marquee highlight game, but... We had 20 guys get 19 or more snaps, and over half of them were in that really solid starter range. So I thought overall just a great group effort, um, you know, a place where I think Marcus Freeman has really come into his own to rotate in a lot of guys, uh, exemplify our depth, keep guys fresh, keep the pressure on, and you just saw a really good scheme overwhelm UVA without their quarterback. I think one point I also want to make is that this was a really gutsy performance by the defense. What I didn't even realize this past week, Kelly made comments after the game, is that uh, the flu bug had ran its course through the entire program, essentially. I think he mentioned that we had as many as 13 guys in and out uh, throughout the practice week. And then the big headline was Drew White and MTA, two of our captains on defense, two of our better, uh, more critical players, were late scratches to the game because of the flu. And we didn't have time to... Uh, essentially adapt the game plan for that because it, it was such short notice. So when you factor them in with Kyle Hamilton being out as well, that's three defensive captains, three of our key guys on defense. Uh, we had to rotate a lot of young guys in. Uh, of course, as we mentioned, UVA, uh, they had the bye week. Brett mentioned they had a lot of trick plays. That bye week gave them more time to give us different looks. Road game at night. A lot of factors going on here that really didn't play to our advantage, and the defense showed up and, and shut them down. So I think I think we we need to give the uh, the D-boys a, a lot of credit for that. I think um, it gives me a lot of uh, optimism for the future, especially if some of these guys get back. So next week, I don't know if Hamilton's going to be back. Apparently he's looked a, a bit uh, – he was jogging around the field a little bit and looked a little uh, – like he's running around a bit gingerly apparently. But we should get MTA and Drew, Drew White back. And if, if this defense can get healthy, they're playing at this high of a level, banged up, playing a lot of depth guys – uh, when they get fully healthy, I mean, this could be a really, really scary defense. So if this is our flu game, who, who did it better? Michael Jordan in Game 5 of the 97 Finals or Marcus Freeman in Charlottesville in, in Week 10 of the 2021 season? I think the lesson – you never you never bet against Michael Jordan if you've ever watched the last Ma- Okay, dance. fine. Yeah. Ma- Michael, Ma- it, Michael Jordan's flu game still takes the case. It'll okay. come back to bite us. A close yeah. second. A, a close second. <laughs> yeah, okay. yeah, for sure, for sure. Um and then our, our third and oh, our third and final takeaway on, on on defense is is just is help coming at linebackers. 
This is a position group we've talked a lot about. They've been beat up on injury. Drew White's playing hurt. Simon, Luafau, a bunch of other guys out, out with injuries in, in this group. We've harped on J.D. Bertrand, the young linebacker. He's just been getting picked on on defense all year. He's actually stepped up. He had a pro football focus grade of 65 in this. That was his best game since Wisconsin in terms of a pro football focus grade. So hopefully that's signs of better things to come. And then Prince Kali. A lot of it was garbage time, but Prince Kali uh, got 20 snaps in this game. He was a top 150 recruit in his class. Freshman, he got a lot of hype in summer camp. Kelly kept saying he's going to play, he's going to play, he's going to play, and we don't see him. He played in this game. He played 20 snaps, got, got real meaningful action. So between hopefully Drew White gets healthy, gets over this flu bug, J.D. Bertrand's looking a little better, Prince Colley's getting in the rotation. Bo Bauer had a great game with two sacks in the backfield. Um, so linebacker, we, we've identified as probably our weakest position group on the football team. And again, a lot of that's due to injuries. Guys are playing hard. Guys are stepping up. But but injuries just gotten this group ravaged. Hopeful, fingers crossed, that we're starting to see a turning corner here for this linebacking group. All right, so where does that leave us on the season? Obviously, the playoff, that's a constant point of discussion. That's what everyone's focused on. Uh, in terms of ND's probability of winning out, ESPN now has us uh, officially leaning. It's officially leaning towards 11 wins for Outlook, which is the first time all year. Technically, it's 10.7 wins, and we have a 73% chance of winning out. Personally, I, uh, I, I certainly expect us to, to beat Georgia Tech and Stanford. Both those teams have not had good years. Um, another key point, uh, this is something I've been tracking, is the SP Plus and Notre Dame's ranking within it. Uh, we keep moving up. We're number 10 now. And I think this is perhaps one of the best metrics in terms of uh, how teams are expected to to perform moving forward. I do think this UVA performance, granted that Armstrong was out, it probably makes made our defense look a little bit better than it actually is. But uh, needless to say, it, it's good to see us keep uh, continue uh, ticking up here. Um, in terms of like other big events that happened this weekend, Oklahoma lost. That's big for ND. So ND likely moves up a spot in the college football playoff rankings. Um, that'll come out tomorrow. Right now, the AP poll has us at number six. So um, there may be a bit of a mismatch in terms of how the committee views us versus how the AP polls view us. Certainly, the AP polls seem to view us more favorably than, than Michigan and Michigan State. I don't know that the committee is going to do that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think a, a couple other things to point out here. Uh, we mentioned last episode and about Andy's path to the playoff. Basically... Uh, right now, it's, it's just, the percentage of getting in has, has uh, remained unchanged per 538. It now says that we have a 32% chance to make the playoff. Um, however, there are some other predictors that have our odds higher. So ESPN had one today that they posted on Twitter, um, today being uh, Sunday, and it had our odds at 60%, higher than Cincinnati. Um, so I'm taking it with a bit of a grain of salt. They also had it, Oregon at like 5%, which seemed really low. So... That one I'm calling into question, but there have been, I think there's been a bit more chatter, uh, the past, certainly since the game against UVA about Andy potentially getting in the playoffs. I do think it's still, we still need a lot to happen. Um, however, maybe, maybe the Notre Dame hype machine that we've talked about before is starting to kick in. And like Brett, Brett said this many times, if Andy is at least somewhat in a position to get in the playoff, they're going to find a way to, to get us in somehow. Yeah, what I'd add to that is, again, go back to listen to episode 12. We talked about this a lot. The most likely path is Georgia wins out, which would include beating Bama and eliminating Bama to their second loss, um, Cincy losing and Oregon losing. And that would leave Georgia, Big Ten champ, Big 12 champ, Notre Dame. And, and, and we'd have the fourth spot. That is unchanged. 
Um, so right now, in, in my mind, what's ahead of us is Georgia, Alabama, whoever comes out of the Big Ten, assuming it's from the Big Ten East, not Big Ten West, whoever comes out of the Big 12, uh, Oregon and Cincy. That's, you know, six teams above us that are going to have better resumes, and we need three of those resumes to fall apart. And right now, that's not likely, right? So we most likely path is we went out, we're in a New Year's Six Bowl, maybe the Peach Bowl down here in, in Atlanta. Uh, sounds like a likely destination, but right now it still seems like we're on the outside looking in and, and need a lot of help coming our way. If you're a Notre Dame fan, you want to be cheering for Utah next week against Oregon. That's a huge game, possibility to knock Oregon out of out of playoff contention. Um, but but right now it feels like we're on the outside looking in here with two weeks to go. Definitely. And I think one other team we want to be rooting for is, is Wisconsin. Um, so if they can win out, if they if they make it to the Big Ten Championship, I, I think beating Ohio State, assuming Ohio State gets in, that's gonna be a tall task. But you never you never know what'll happen in those games. Um, so and if that happens happens, obviously that that would uh, work out pretty well for us. Play hard, play fast, play free, enjoy each other, and send our seniors off with a victory in this stadium. All right, Georgia Tech preview. Senior game here in South Bend. Year three for head coach Jeff Collins leading the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. And typically, year three is a huge year for coaches in terms of their initial recruiting classes are now upperclassmen. There's no first-year excuses. But in this case, for uh, for Jeff Collins, year three is a little bit different. He's still getting a grace period in Georgia Tech. As a reminder, he took over for Paul Johnson, who ran the triple option, recruited really differently, kind of disengaged the Atlanta area with fans and recruits. And in his last seven years, they only topped the seven win total twice. So a program going in the very wrong direction with a weird kind of roster makeup due to running the triple option. So year three for Jeff Collins, Georgia Tech fans being patient. And um, certainly this year's been a struggle. Definitely. Um, Collins, he, uh, yeah, he came from Temple. He was there two years. SEC defensive coordinator before that. I think one, one thing to point out here is that no one wanted this Georgia Tech job. It was built around the triple option. Um, a pretty big hire to try to start that transition to more traditional, um, offensive structure. Um, and I think the good thing here though for Georgia Tech is that the administration is going to be patient with Collins, which I think they need to be because this is quite an overhaul. Um, there are, however, some factors that play to their favor. They are in a very fertile recruiting ground, recruiting ground. And I think they're also leaning into their position within the broader Atlanta area, which is a, an attractive area for recruits. So, uh, if you look into their football, football ads, the 404 is on pretty much every single one. They're trying to turn that into a recruiting advantage. Now, double clicking into that recruiting, it's ranged. So from 2011 to 2019, it's ranged anywhere from 44 to 70 under Paul Johnson with an average of 52. So not great. That's pretty, I would say for a power five school, that's, that's certainly below average for bottom uh, of the barrel, definitely sure. bottom of the barrel in terms of the broader FBS landscape. You're fairly average, I would say. Um, however, Collins, uh, you have seen, began to see a start of an uptick in recruiting. So in 2020, he had the number 26 class fell off in the 2021 class, but now they're, uh, looking at, uh, number 24 in 2022. So that's a big turnaround from where they were, uh, the level that they were recruiting at under uh, under Johnson and it really as we mentioned it's all on this Atlanta recruiting pitch 18 of the they have 18 commits in the 22 class right now nine are from Georgia including their top three recruits and then five more from nearby in uh, Florida and Alabama so it seems like they may be finding something that's uh, that's working for them yeah and I'm, I'm pretty close to this program when I live here in Atlanta my, my office literally overlooks Bobby Dodd Stadium 
And then I've also got an uncle-in-law and cousin-in-law who, who are alumni at Georgia Tech, and we usually go to a couple games every year with them. And so they'll tell you it feels like this is in the right direction for this program. But this year's been tough. They're they're three and seven. They've lost four straight. Um, they just lost a game to to Boston College where they were up twenty-one to seven. The lead unravels and they lose forty-one to thirty. The the biggest issue is that so they beat UNC in a forty-five to twenty-two blowout. Other than that, their only wins are against an FCS school and Duke, who by this year's standards might as well be an FCS school. So they're three and seven. They're not really winning when they're playing good competition, but they have been competitive. Um, other than a blowout loss to Pitt, their their six other losses have been by an average of six points. So they're hanging in there. They're playing competitive games. They're keeping it close, um, but it just feels like this is in a this is in a rebuild. Moving to the efficiency rankings, uh, right now per SP plus, they're number seventy six. So uh, not very good for a Power Five program. Um, in terms of how that split, how that works in terms of a split for offensive defense, they're number 60 on offense and number 81 on defense. So both sides here from a power five perspective are below average. Um, the defense is, is a little bit, a little bit worse than that. Um, and as I think another thing is ND has played a lot of one half teams, UNC, USC, UVA, uh, where they're way better on offense than defense. Uh, Wisconsin, on the other hand, and, and Toledo, they're way better on defense than offense. Georgia Tech, they have more balance, but both units are fairly mediocre, and the defense is, is trending closer to that bad territory. Um, in terms of where this uh, where this works in terms of the spread and how you should expect Notre Dame to perform um, uh, from like a, from Vegas' standpoint, uh, the efficiency ratings imply Notre Dame is about a 16-point favorite on neutral field here. So moving that to home, that's about that implies about a 19 or 20-point home home uh, favorite uh, for Notre Dame. Uh, and current lines right now are actually not quite that uh, favorable. They're ranging anywhere from 15 to 70, 17 points. So if you like to use the SP Plus uh, rankings to bet and uh, try to try to beat Vegas, this is this might be a good opportunity to, to hammer ND here and uh, hopefully you can make some money. However, don't if, if it doesn't work out, uh, <laughs> don't say that you heard it from me. I don't want to I don't want to take any of the blame here. So on this game here for, for the preview, um, I had the opportunity to scout this team in person. I was at the Georgia Tech-Virginia Tech game a, a few weeks ago in, in Atlanta, so got a bird's-eye view of, of the action, if you will. And what I'd say is this this offense has some potential. Um, their running back, Gibbs, ran for over 100 yards in that game at 10 yards per run. They do try to stretch the field. They only threw the ball for 180 yards, but half that came on three passes. Um, their explosiveness on the season is 1.38. That's 27th in the country. So Jeff Collins will take his shot. Uh, quarterback Jeff Sims will get the ball downfield. Um, not always the most efficient, kind of steady move the chains, but they've got the type of stuff you like to see in, in a college football offense. They run the ball well, and they try to have an explosive passing game. They haven't always put those together. Sometimes turnovers have come in there. Um, for example, they, they've allowed a havoc rate of 18% to opposing defenses. That's 92nd in the country from an offensive standpoint. So, again, a ways to go for this offense. Um, but they're trying to do the right things of run the ball, win the win the line of scrimmage, and then break things open with, with explosive passing. Um, their pro football focus grades, 90 for run offense. That's 15 in the country. Um, that's despite 55 run blocking grade. So, again, They've, they've got good skills position at, at running back, but I think a lot of what you're seeing in, in the offensive line is, is really 
a struggle as they've shifted from undersized linemen trying to run the triple option to now more traditional offense that that's just been a tough transition for for their offensive line and, and that's where you see a lot of struggles Definitely. I think this team, I mean, this team's still built, a lot of the players come from the triple option era. So you still, I think this team is still built for running. However, their run blocking grade doesn't necessarily support that, but, um, it's not surprising. It's, they, uh, that's the one thing that they can do a bit proficiently. Uh, they're not there on the passing. I think in a couple of years, it might be a bit of a different story. Um, but they're not quite there, not quite there yet. Um, moving on to the other side of the ball, uh, talking about the defense, they are, very susceptible to the big play, and you could definitely see that against uh, against Virginia Tech. They gave up two 60-plus yard passes, both on just blown coverages. Uh, and in general, it doesn't. This defense does not really strike fear. It should not strike fear in any top 25 offense. Uh, their success rate that they allow 47 percent. That's 106 in, in the country. As we said, anywhere in like the high 40s. That's uh, that's where you want to be uh, for an offense. And they're and they're and they're allowing. Uh, they're essentially allowing, what, on average, whatever team they play, that uh, success rate that you strive for. In terms of havoc generated, they're uh, at 14%. That's 112th in the country. Um, as we've mentioned before, defenses want to be more in that high teens, so they're well below that. And then uh, on line yards allowed, 3.26 yards uh, per game. That's 95th. So if, if you're kind of like looking at what is uh, what's essentially causing uh, a big factor in what's causing these uh, – uh, issues on defense. It seems like they get pushed around quite a bit. They're allowing 404, uh, 440 yards per game, 270 passing, and 170 uh, rushing. Basically, they're grading out uh, in the mid 60s everywhere. Uh, for context, anywhere in that like 60s range, that mid mid 60s or lower, that's replacement level. Um, essentially, an average defense. It suggests that if you were to just pull an average bench player, they should be able to come in and and, and do a pretty uh, a pretty comparable job. Yeah. Just two specific examples again. So that their pro football focus grades are around a 60. The two guys on their defense that lead the team in tackles and lead the team in defensive snaps played are their linebackers, Allende Ellie and Quiz Jackson. They have pro football focus grades of 41 and 43. That's so far below where you would ever expect your two, you know, most used players to be. Um, and it's just a really troubling sign for this defense that there's just still kind of glaring holes within that roster. And and the other side of that, uh, another great example is Derek Allen. He, he was a Notre Dame transfer. He was the number 106 recruit in his class. He was actually in the same class as Houston Griffith and a year ahead of Kyle Hamilton. That's supposed to be kind of a big three-headed monster in the secondary. Allen couldn't break through the, the depth chart at Notre Dame, transfers to Georgia Tech, and he can't break through the depth chart. He's, he's gotten decent playing time, but had a pro football focus grade of 39 and has really struggled to, to win a starting job at Georgia Tech. But they were giving him snaps to try to win the job. So th- there's still a lot of holes in this defense, a lot of holes they're trying to build their program into with, with some of their younger talent, and it's, it's just not there yet. Moving on to score predictions. S-Split Plus ratings, as you mentioned, imply about a 19-20 point spread for Notre Dame, and the lines are about 15 to 17 points per Vegas. Um, Brett, where where is your head at? What's your what's your score prediction? What's your rationale? I think Notre Dame needs to dominate the next two games if they want any chance in the college football playoff, and I think the team knows that. I think Brian Kelly knows that. I think the coaching staff knows that. 
And this is a recruiting mismatch. Uh, We've talked about it. Georgia Tech's best talent is their underclassmen from the more recent recruiting classes under Jeff Collins. Their upperclassmen are kind of the holdovers of the triple option under under Paul Johnson. Um, And so I think, especially when you look at the major holes on defense, we we talked about their their leading tacklers are grading out in the 40s. That just seems like a recipe for success for Mike Mayer and for Kyron Williams and for this offensive line. Um, so I've got the Irish big. I've got it 38 to 10. Um, I think they cover the spread and and really insert their dominance in this one and, and keep the train rolling go, going into the final game of the season. I'm with you on that. I, I think Notre Dame here, we have been looking better each subsequent week. The defense, is, the defense last week uh, against UVA looked fantastic. And this week, we hopefully should be getting even healthier. Again, we don't know if Kyle Hamilton's back. If Kyle Hamilton's back then I feel like I would feel very confident that we would completely shut them down. Even without them, I feel confident that they're not really going to be able to do much on us. Uh, they just give up so much havoc. They Their success rate is pretty low. They're really It's, it's a boom-and-bust offense and really not a whole lot of boom yet. Maybe in a couple of years it'll be a bit different. And then uh, the matchup for Notre Dame, our offense versus their defense. Their defense is, as we mentioned, uh, mediocre, mediocre at best and in, at certain positions really bad. Um, our offense has been humming. I think that we're going to continue to do that. Um, it's a home game. It's a senior game. Um, it's, uh, I think, another factor. It's supposed to be pretty cold. These, these boys from Georgia Tech are from Atlanta. Uh, I don't think that that should make a huge difference. But if you're, if you're, in, a, if you're in a season where you're essentially already out of uh, bowl, bowl eligibility, uh, the season has gone sideways, it's a, it's a cold game in South Bend near the end of the year, I don't know if the motivation is necessarily going to be there. Of course, sometimes we say stuff like that and teams will surprise us. But I think all that's leading to me a score prediction of around 40 to 18. As, as a guy from Minnesota who lived in South Bend in Chicago and has now moved to Atlanta for five years, I can tell you that the cold is very real. I've gotten soft in my five years being down here. And I, I can assure you that these 18, 19, 20-year-old kids going up and seeing snow for the first time I think that's a real factor that, that's going to play to the favor of Notre Dame. Agreed. If you truly want to make your mark, you have the opportunity to do that. This is your choice. In last week's show, we covered part one of a two-part series on NILs. The first segment was focused on what's changed with NILs. A quick recap, recent court cases have changed how the NCAA is viewed with respect to antitrust regulations, and as a result, it appears in the future, the NCA won't be able to regulate compensation to college athletes as it previously, as it previously has done. So the NCA has proactively stopped regulating its NIL rules, which means students can receive compensation for their name, image, and likeness. Basically, they can receive money from endorsements, but not directly from schools for athletic performance. Uh, if you're interested in more detail, check out last week's episode for more detail. And so this week, we're going to discuss students and specifically the Notre Dame program. We'll discuss two questions. What endorsement deals are Notre Dame students on on the football team getting? And how does that stack up to the rest of the college football? So starting with the first question, Mike, want to kick us off? What NIL deals are our football players currently getting? Not surprisingly, Kyle Hamilton is leading the way, future first-round pick, potentially uh, early early, uh, first uh, two picks overall in the draft. Uh, we've mentioned his podcast inside the garage that he hosts with teammates, Cam Hart, KJ Wallace, Connor Radigan. Uh, that is partnered with Colin Coward, a very prominent Fox Sports talk show host. And of course, uh, the players led by Kyle are actually collecting ad revenue from that podcast deal. Um, some other NIL deals, Kyle Hamilton and Kyron Williams, they also partnered up 
for their own uh, personalized logos, and then teamed up for clothing merchandise. So you can go to thekylehamilton.com or thekyanwilliams.com and get your very own The Bad Boys clothing featuring uh, Kyron and Kyle. I don't know if I could pull off uh, that gear. I, I think that would... Uh, Raise some eyebrows. I don't know what what you think, Brett. Maybe maybe you can pull yeah, it off. No, no. M- Mike and Brett definitely cannot pull off the, the bad boys clothing, but but maybe we'll we'll try that next year for uh, year two of the podcast. M- more on Hamilton. He's got to deal with Roadback Apparel. Roadback uh, is a maker of golf polos and and other le- leisure uh, clothing. He's actually leading their program of college athlete brand ambassadors across the country. So that that's pretty cool. He's kind of in a consulting management role for them. And then Kyle, he's also hosting his own training camp for youth football players. Uh, so a lot of activity for Kyle Hamilton. It seems like he's definitely leader in the clubhouse in terms of endorsement deals and, and certainly no surprise given his NFL future. And then uh, for other parts of the team, the offensive line, they have been collecting some sponsorship deals as a group, uh, including Chubby's, which makes men's retro-inspired shorts, Mission Barbecue, Jets Pizza, and also a toilet paper company called Dude Wipes. Uh, which that was an interesting one to me. I, I don't know that I uh, needed to know how, how Jarrett Patterson was cleaning up after himself after taking a number two, but uh, glad to know that he values personal hygiene. So that's something that I just know about Jarrett Patterson now that uh, that I never would have known before. And I, I don't know that I'm, I'm happy that I know it, but it's just something that's locked into my head now. It's not a great image for sure. Um, another uh, just kind of notable theme is, is a number of players have, have signed with marketing agencies. So, the Animalola twins, Jared Patterson, Blake Fisher, Myron Tugvaloa Mosa, that they've all signed deals with marketing agencies. And and another interesting call out is getting alumni into the mix. So Brandon Wimbush is a co founder of a platform called MOGL uh, Mogul. It's designed to connect college athletes with businesses, basically a platform to help athletes find NIL endorsement deals. Uh, and then Mick Asaf, we had his younger brother Sam on the show a few weeks ago. Uh, Mick is the founder of a platform called Yoke, where fans can basically pay players to play video games with them. So as an example, you could pay Kyron Williams to play Madden football with your child for their birthday or, or something like that. So really cool to see Mick Asaf and Brandon Wimbush, two, two former alumni of the football program, getting in on the action and, and helping current players. Definitely. Um, the list of players on Yoke includes Houston Griffith, Clarence Lewis, Braden Lindsay, Xavier Watts, uh, Kyron Williams, uh, and of course, uh, Kyle Hamilton. Um, so a lot of activity, uh, a lot of the rosters getting involved with this. Other than maybe Hamilton though, fairly small dollars. Uh, dollar amounts are not disclosed for these deals for the most part. We talked about state legislation last week, um, and I think this is a key point here. A lot of states that have passed legislation have added disclosure requirements. So in those instances, you need to make it public how much those NIL deals are worth. Seems a little odd. No other industry really requires that. Um, other uh, no 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 other industry requires someone to publicly disclose how much they get, other than public officials. But whatever. And Indiana actually doesn't have, as we mentioned before, any NIL legislation. So none of the Notre Dame deals uh, are disclosed in this instance. And and suffice to say, I don't think the offensive line is hauling in six figures from dude wipes, <laughs> and I don't think anyone is getting paid six figures to play Madden with ten year olds. So one of the things that we're trying to demystify in this segment is this idea that college football players are all of a sudden going to start making millions and millions of dollars. That's true in some very unique circumstances. We'll get to that in a second about what it's looking like across the rest of the landscape. But really, for the vast majority of the team, for the vast majority of college football players, even at a place like Notre Dame, 
we're not talking about huge dollar amounts. And and so that brings us to our second question. H- how does Notre Dame's NIL deal stack up to the rest of the college football? First angle of that question is supporting the players. And I think that that's informing them of their opportunities and getting them a head start, essentially educating them on it. It's, it's pretty daunting. It's very chaotic. You want to get them all the information that you can so they, uh, so they really know what's going on. They can navigate it and they can make the right decisions. And... Um, not surprisingly here, I think this is, uh, these are the type of areas where Notre Dame really tends to, to differentiate themselves. Notre Dame has consistently been praised by recruits in this area, and especially also recruits' parents. There have been uh, many a Notre Dame official visit, and uh, some of the recruiting beat writers will talk to parents, and they'll, be, they'll ask them what part of the weekend, for instance, that they were most impressed with. And often you'll hear, wow, the presentation on NIL is extremely well thought out. They've clearly done their research on this. They've shown how the brand can, can really... Uh, Leverage and, and, and give, a, give, give a distinct advantage to Notre Dame. Um, so certainly an area that Notre Dame has been on top of. Brian Kelly and Jeff, uh, Jack Swarbrick, they have been very open about this. I think they've also had a lot of comments uh, saying that they want to collaborate with the players to help them here. They want to make sure they follow the rules, but they also want to figure out how they can uh, effectively navigate this to the, uh, to the benefit of everyone. Yeah, I think some programs are basically saying – we're not dealing with this, or if you want to do it, you can do it yourself, player XYZ. Kelly's gone the opposite. Kelly's been on the record saying, I don't tell my players to shut off Twitter because we live in a world that has Twitter. I don't tell my players to shut off NIL deals because we're now living in a world with NIL deals. So, look, I I don't know what's right or wrong in, in kind of judging the future of NIL or whether or not it's good for the sport, but it is here, and Brian Kelly's embracing it. And Jack Swarbrick's embracing it. And I think that's a really good good thing for the administration and, and, and deserves some some praise. Definitely, Brett. And I think one thing we've mentioned before about Brian Kelly, he doesn't seem, I think, initially like an obvious player's coach. But when you break down a lot of the decisions that he makes and how he interacts with his players, uh, the big decisions that he makes are very friendly to the players. I think this is another example of that. He's leaning into it. This is going to benefit the players a lot. He wants to see his players do well. And, um, yeah, I mean, I think from that standpoint, it's just – uh, another instance of him showing how friendly he is to the players and earning that moniker of a, of a player's coach. Now, uh, moving into the deals themselves, what do they look like? What are, what are players also like, what are players at other schools securing? Cause that's important too. Um, that's like where you can stand out. So not surprisingly here, <laughs> Nick Saban reported that their QB Heisman candidate, Bryce Young. So Heisman candidate, Alabama. You could imagine someone like that is going to be able to generate a lot of money. Is is nearing one million dollars in sponsorships, but they wouldn't disclose how. So that that is key. We don't have all the details. We don't know for sure that he's actually making a million dollars. Certainly seems plausible for someone like him. Um, there are a lot of rumors that uh, every Tuscaloosa car dealership chipped in. Seems a little sketchy, but right now that is all fair game. And then also, if you're from the South, you've heard of Milo's Sweet Tea. It's liquid gold, from what I've heard. Uh, and they announced an endorsement with Bo Nix, Auburn's QB, and uh, Malachi Moore. I think I'm saying that right. Alabama's cornerback who intercepted Bo in the Iron Bowl last year. So Milos has decided to to fuel that rivalry even more. I think that's I think that's a good move. It's certainly going to bring more attention to the brand. Staying in the South, Bojangles got in on the action. That's the Southern Fried Chicken fast food chain. They've got endorsement deals with UNC's quarterback Sam Howell, Clemson's quarterback DJU. Terms weren't disclosed. Miami's quarterback Derek King. He allegedly has twenty thousand dollars in a deal from a movie company. And then apparently all Miami scholarship players have received a $500 monthly endorsement from a fitness training company. So in total for the team, that's a $540,000 a year endorsement. It's a company that's headquartered in South Florida. 
the full team deal was actually outdone by Georgia Tech, who we played next week. They claim to have the largest full de- full team deal for 90 football players with TiVo. I didn't even know TiVo was still around. Um, I-, I thought TiVo went out the door like 10 years ago when, when Netflix came on the scene, but apparently TiVo is trying to jump things back up and-, and struck a deal with the Georgia Tech team. They're the, uh, the Blackberry of the media industry. As, as someone who works in the media industry, you don't hear about TiVo very much, so I think that should be very telling. And I think one, I'm going to actually flex my pronunciation here. Uh, so you said DJU, it's DJ Ugalele. So one of the few times mm. that, uh, maybe I'm, I'm showing off some of that Sirico prep here. Um, I, I didn't get my pronunciation guide on Clemson <laughs> this year. Yeah. Some other big names, JT Daniels, uh, he's apparently getting $100 per autograph and 50% of earnings on a trading card deal. Uh, allegedly before his injury, um, and uh, now really taking a backseat for number one UGA, Daniels was flirting with a seven-figure total for NIL, NIL deals, which included a Zaxby's sponsorship. And uh, the good person that he is, he promised to give half of that to his teammates. Also, I will say Zaxby's is, uh, is another fantastic uh, southern fried chicken uh, restaurant, one of my favorites. Um, people will debate that and Raising Cane's. I think I probably lean Raising Cane's, but Zaxby's is very Raising good. Raising Cane's is better. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But Zaxby's is really good too. And then also, Solid. and then of course you have Spencer Rattler, uh, now benched Oklahoma QB. Got some playing time this past weekend though, uh, when Caleb, uh, Caleb was not playing very well. Um, and so his NIL deals apparently have, uh, totaled 765K per open doors. I'm glad you mentioned open doors. So this is where I wanted to take it next with with some notes we, we typed up on this. That's a company that provides services to help college athletes maximize their value and really identify their value. So how much can you get from Instagram ads, from Twitter marketing, from endorsement deals, the whole package? What's your value? And they try to value NIL for a player. And they disclosed their calculations for last year's college football players. The top 10 included Trevor Lawrence. No surprise, number one overall draft pick, $1.5 million earnings potential. Justin Fields, also no surprise, you know, first round draft pick to the Chicago Bears, $1.4 million value. Then it dropped down to seven hundred fifty k for Spencer Rattler. And if you go further down that top 10 list, uh, rounding it out at the bottom of that was LSU All-American quarterback Derek Stingley with a value of one hundred thirty k. So just to put that into context, there's, there's 10 players in an entire season whose endorsement value is worth more than 130k. So that just goes back to this I think stigma out there that all these college football players will be making millions and millions of dollars. There's only 10 that are worth 130k. There's really very few pass that are that, that are even worth 100k. So we're just not talking about massive millions and millions of dollars of 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 endorsement deals like we might be thinking about for pro athletes. That sounds about right. College football is huge, but these aren't professional athletes at the end of the day. And there's certainly some risk anytime you, you endorse anyone. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that's a really important context. There's just frankly, there's just not enough value uh, for these players to go make seven figures. There's a couple, right? There's going to be a few. But even even the average All-American, I think that was uh, that may be surprising to some folks, probably not even at six figures. So overall, we're talking about fairly small dollar amounts when you start breaking down uh, individual players here. And uh, one last example... Uh, that might change the college football landscape a bit. BYU, they struck a multi-year deal with Built Brands. Uh, this is a company that makes protein and energy products for working out. 
The deal provides compensation to 123 players on the BYU team, but most of that here is actually going to walk-ons who will get compensated the exact dollar amount of full tuition. So BYU has basically used this NIL NIL deal as a way to go from 85 scholarships, the NCAA limit, to uh, effectively 123 scholarships. Um, so interesting use of, uh, of this NIL uh, landscape right now to potentially find a way to maybe juice your roster numbers a bit. Yeah, I think that's one that at some point you might see get cracked down on. Uh, but, but certainly one where if you think about how does NIL alter college football, that would be a big game changer if you said all of a sudden some schools who had the financial resources to do it through their boosters or, or what have you would all of a sudden be getting 30, 40 more scholarship spots. That would be a game changer. Just to bring this segment to a close, NIL deals, they are great for players, uh, but it's not the high dollar values everyone thinks. Sure, Bryce Young, Alabama quarterback, Heisman contender, He's going to be getting seven figures on, on on the action, but for most football players, we're talking about significantly less than a hundred thousand dollars. In most cases, way way less than that. But Notre Dame seems to be at the forefront of this. A lot of players are involved. Swarbrick's involved. Kelly's involved, and, and they're helping players navigate a, a complex subject in a way that I think is at the forefront. We're going to continue to watch this. We're going to continue to learn more. But early on, it seems like this is an advantage for Notre Dame. And we're starting to see some of that play into recruiting conversations, which I think is a really good sign for for the Notre Dame program going forward. The one thing that we know is it's about teams that have traits of excellence, teams that know how to win football games. Let's close out the show with the return of the four horsemen. And this week it's going to be the four horsemen of our favorite seniors heading into the senior game, the the last home game at, at Notre Dame Stadium this year against Georgia Tech. This was tough. It was hard to figure out who's our favorite seniors. So we started with a few filters. We excluded new transfers. Sorry, Kane Madden, Jack Cohen, you've been great. We've loved cheering for you this year, but this is more of a career ranking status, so your one season doesn't quite make the list. And then we also didn't include guys who aren't technically seniors but might be in their last game at Notre Dame Stadium but but might be leaving earlier for the draft. So we're not including Kyron. We're not including Kyle Hamilton. And then excluded guys that haven't been multi-year starters. So Houston Griffith, George Takax, uh, Shane Simon, Joe Wilkins. We, we thought about it, but but generally didn't include it unless if you were a multi-year uh, starter. So, Mike, you want us want to run us through the finalists before we get into the top four? So we have 11 finalists. Uh, it's Jonathan Doerr, Kurt Heinisch, Avery Davis, Kevin Austin, Drew White, Josh Lugg, uh, Myron Tagovailoa Amosa, Braden Lenzi, the Adam Alola brothers, and Jarrett Patterson. So, like I said, 11 guys to pick from. Um, and I think one thing that stands out, no All-American in this group. No dominant stud like a Quentin Nelson or Chase Claypool or a Jeremiah Wusakaramoa. But about as successful as it gets when you take a step back and look at the track record of these players um, when they've been with the program. It's over 40 wins for this senior class. Two trips to the college football playoff. Uh, maybe a third this year, we'll see. But overall, very successful. One of the, uh, in terms of even like the history of, of Notre Dame, certainly um, one of the more successful stretches for, for a senior class. De- definitely a deep group of seniors, which I think made this really hard to identify our top four. A, a deep class, um, even if there wasn't maybe that, that standout in, in the group. So starting off, <clears throat> number four, I think this was the hardest one. I think we could have picked five different people to, to take this fourth spot, but we, we wanted to give the tiebreaker to a captain. So we're starting with 
Myron Tagvailoa Mosa at, at number four in our four horsemen of, of seniors in this class. Pro football focus grade of 77 this year, so he's been phenomenal on the field. Really remade his body in the offseason to go from an interior lineman to an edge rusher. He leads the defensive line and snaps this season at, at almost 450, um, about as close as you can get to an every-down player for the defensive line. Four sacks, I think that's second on the team. 25 QB hurries. Interestingly, that's twice as many QB pressures as Isaiah Foskey, so might not be getting home with the sacks, but he's been a really, really solid above-average starter. And then, of course, we, we highlighted this at the beginning of the season. Um, just a really good feel-good story. Uh, his dad passed away right before the season started, uh, really right as he got named a captain at, at Notre Dame, a very emotional kid, a very spiritual kid, someone that's just really easy to pull for. It's It's been great getting to cheer for him these these last few years and, and just love having MTA on the roster. Yeah, program guy. He does everything that uh, we've asked of him. Uh, even after his father died, I believe he was in Hawaii for some services and essentially came back and uh, pulled essentially like – showed up to practice um, on no sleep essentially that, that that's how how dedicated he is i mean that's that's re- that's really tough for for anyone to do especially someone who's who's as young as him in college to to lose their father um very tough but uh, we've been very fortunate to have him moving on to our our next player in the four horsemen uh, Avery Davis um unfortunately he had a season ending injury this year which was uh, a, a very heartbreaking scene when it happened apparently uh, i mean this just tells you how uh how he's perceived in the program very emotional in the locker room uh, he's a captain on the team. And I think, you know, one thing with him, I think it's clear that we, we don't win against Virginia Tech without him. He really showed up that game. And then, of course, uh, last year in the regular season game against Clemson, he, he really took over that closing closing drive with Ian Book. That's one of the most memorable games, Notre Dame games, that I've ever seen. And I'll, I'll always remember uh, that moment very fondly, that 53-yard catch and run to get us down to the four-yard line, and then the game-tying touchdown. Those are just the, the moments that really uh, establish – uh, really established these players uh, in, in legend, essentially. Um, granted, he's a guy that probably never had first-round draft pick talent. He, he's moved positions a lot. Another one of those guys like MTA who has done everything that the program has asked for him. He's been all over. He's played defense. He's played offense. He actually was recruited as a quarterback, I believe. Um, he's never actually even led the team in receiving, but he's, he's a very solid starter who stepped up in big moments. You pretty much know what you're going to get from him. He's, a gr- again, a great locker room guy, sets the work ethic, um, and just someone that uh, is just really uh, well, well thought of throughout the entire program. Yeah, if you said, obviously Avery Davis isn't a Mike Floyd or a Golden Tate or a Chase Claypool, but if you remember his big moments, I'll, I'll always remember you know the Miles Boykin game winner against uh, LSU in the Music City Bowl. I'll, I'll always remember Will Fuller against UVA in 2015. Some guys just have those big moments, and Avery Davis had those. He he had them this year against Virginia Tech, last year against Clemson. He he just always stepped up in in those big moments, and and that's what really got him on this four horsemen list. One quick call. It was uh, it was actually in the uh, the Citrus Bowl against LSU, and I actually wanted to bring that up oh, because it's right. a reminder that we've beaten LSU twice in bowl games. So anytime I get an opportunity to say that, I'm gonna. I'm gonna I'm gonna break that in. So Brett, I appreciate that. It gave me an opportunity to do that. Um, now- good good call. Music City Bowl was was our junior year, right? In our se- uh, senior year, it's 2014, in, in 2014 season. Yeah. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. So yeah, yep. hey, good time for that too. Always good to beat uh, LSU's down right now, but it's always fun to beat a, historically a, uh, one of the more prominent SEC programs. Um, our next player, Jarrett Patterson. 
Uh, he's been he's performed quite well this year, even even when the offensive line at times has, has not looked as good. Certainly, they've looked a lot better uh, lately. But his Pro Football Focus grade this year is 82. Again, anything above 80, that's that's what you're seeing from NFL prospects. That's an NFL type performance, um, and that's the best on the offense. He's number three in the country actually in pass blocking grade, um, and right now he's projecting out to a, a late round draft grade, uh, a, a late round draft outlook. Um, we'll see. I mean, there's still plenty of plenty of time left. Uh, these things move around quite quite a bit. Um, and I think another important point here is he. He's really held this O-line together. He was the veteran coming in. There was a ton of turnover. At times, it felt like the wheels were falling off after a few early games. But he, he really uh, he really held down the fort. At least he himself, even when uh, others around him were maybe not performing quite as well, he was performing at a high level. And he uh, never never blamed any of his teammates. He uh, stuck with the party line that they were going to continue to gel, continue to get better. He was very patient, helping teach some of the, teach some of the newcomers and and uh, and we're seeing we're seeing them finally gel, and um, I think a lot of that's that's due to his uh, his leadership. And that brings us to the the last and, and and top of the list for our four horsemen of seniors on on this year's Notre Dame football team, Kurt Heinisch, Pro Football Focus grade of seventy nine. So again, very very productive on the field. Grad student, he shows up to every game with that black paint on his face, blue collar, gritty defender out of Pittsburgh. Exactly who you want in the middle of the defense. And what I love about this story is he was the number 519 recruit in his class. He was recruited to add depth to the roster. Never really supposed to play, let alone be a captain, let alone be a multi-year starter. And here he is, all-time program record. He's now played in 58 career games. That's been aided by taking advantage of an extra COVID year of eligibility. But the all-time program leader in in games played um, just... A stalwart in the middle, 41. It feels like he's been in the program forever. Um, again, has been a part of some really, really great defenses. Now over three defensive coordinators in, in his tenure. He, he was there for Elko and Lee and, and, and now Marcus Freeman and, and has been at the center of all of it. A, a really productive player um, and, and really coming into his own right now with, with some of his best football in, in the last couple of games. Yeah, I think Heinisch in particular, I think with him, I think he represents um, generally what Notre Dame wants to be in terms of like the image of their programs. Hard-nosed, gritty, hardworking. Uh, he, he also has a pretty good sense of humor, it seems like, too. I remember when he announced he was coming back, he uh, he photoshopped his face into the uh, the clip from Wolf of Wall Street where Leonardo DiCaprio slash Jordan Belfort was saying that he wasn't leaving. So I always thought that that was pretty funny. As soon as he did that, I was like, all right, this guy's, this guy is clearly a favorite for me and he deserves to be a fan favorite. But, um, yeah, Heinish has been a stalwart in the program, played in a lot of games, everything that you would want, uh, from someone like him. And I, I think, you know, again, we've kind of mentioned with some of these, some of these guys, they weren't necessarily the most highly touted guys. We said Heinish was number 519, Davis 246 as a QB. Um, MTA was 472, Patterson 369, so not very high recruiting rankings. All these guys generally under the radar recruits, not highly touted, um, but we've gotten a lot of production from them. I think these are the type of players generally that um, we would we tag as right kind of guys. So they're the, the guys that aren't necessarily the top 100 players that are going to be super flashy, but they come in, they work really hard, they get better each year. And by the end of their careers, you're really happy that you had them. They were really productive. They did a good job, and they helped. Uh, they helped push the program forward. So with that, we'll close out our show and go Irish. Beat Georgia Tech. Go Irish. Beat Georgia Tech.